This morning we have the privilege of having Shane Bennett with us. Uh, Shane lives in close to Pueblo, Colorado. He was with us last year to propel us from the perspectives class into living um, life with perspective. And this morning he is here to, to challenge us and, and to um, introduce us to perspectives and what perspectives is. And, and again, if you um, have never done this class, you need to come tonight. But I'm excited about what Shane has to say this morning. So Shane, if you would come, let me pray for you and we will turn you loose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for Shane. Lord, we thank you for um, just the work that he does, for his willingness to come and, and to bless us. And Lord, now as he uh, shares the words that, that you've given him for this body on this day, that you would um, just empower him. And Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive what he has for us through you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Well... I am just so happy to be with you guys. I can't really tell you. It's, um, I am seriously excited to um, be able to share this morning and this day with you. Um, can I confess something? I am infatuated with Mennonites. Maybe it's bigger than that. I think I have a crush on Anabaptists generally. Now, I'm kind of a Wesleyan guy, so I'm a bit outside the camp, and our streams have come from different directions somewhat. But I just got to say, for me to get to speak at a church, and I don't know how Mennonite you guys are. I don't know how you reflect the broader community. But just to preach at a church with Mennonite on the sign is exciting for me. Now, I'm not totally sure all of why that is. I, there are some reasons. I know a tiny bit of Anabaptist history. And I love it. I love the, the situation that brought forth your stream of the faith. I love the, um, this wonderful, in some senses simple, in other senses straightforward thing that says, if Jesus said to do this, then, well, shouldn't we ought to do it? And then doing it. I love the little bits of interaction I've had with Mennonites. I had a Mennonite friend in college who was a wonderful challenge and shape to me. Two or three years ago, several of my kids and I went all the way almost to Canada in Michigan and spoke for three or four days at this tiny little Mennonite fellowship there, and they were just wonderful um, hosts and kind to us. So I just got to say, if I'm a little bit off in the stuff that I share this morning, it's because I'm a little Twitter-pated. I love Anabaptists, and I love you guys. And just let me say this, um, I don't know a lot of Mennonite churches but there's something kind of cool going on here just from my little bit of association with you guys. I can see it. You know, the worship that we shared this morning, I don't know if you got the sense that, you know, as that worship's coming to close, and you know somebody's going to get up and talk to you, and you go, dude, could we just maybe one week a year not have somebody give us a talk and just keep adoring Jesus? Ah, great stuff going on here. And I'm happy to get to be a little bit of a part of it. I'm almost also happy because this is sort of, home territory for me. We live in Colorado now. We live in um, the mountains of southern Colorado, and it is flat out gorgeous. I wake up most days and watch the sun rise up on our mountain that's just outside of our window and just go, oh, how can it be that we live here? 
This is so great. But this kind of area is more home turf for me. I grew up just across to the west into Indiana. In fact, here's what it looks like where I grew up. If you look at us on Google Maps, and you know, this could be any place right around Apple Creek. I grew up right here in that part. Two miles away from the nearest town of 800 people, a town named, I'm not kidding, Farmland, Indiana. So I kind of feel like a little bit at home hanging out with you guys. Now, if you're here this morning, it's your first time because you're doing some New Year's resolution, we've got to get the kids to church, honey, or you know, something like that, please come back next week when I won't be here. All right, you have like the normal pastor, Dwayne's going to be talking, and, and don't let this be, don't let me be your evaluation of Fairlawn Mennonite Church, okay? If you're here for the first time, just want to make sure we're pretty clear on that. What I want to do this morning, though, it's not going to be bad. I think it's going to be fun. I want us to talk about Jesus. And I want to share with you some stuff from what is probably one of my favorite bits of text in the whole New Testament. And, and from that, some of what Paul's talking about Jesus, I want to think about who Jesus is, think about some of what he's trying to do on the planet, and then a little bit what that means for us, how, to, how we're involved in that. So if you don't mind, if you have a Bible and you want to read from it, turn to Colossians chapter 1. If you prefer reading from the screen, you can do that. That's what I'm going to do, because over the past couple years, the, the type in my Bible has shrunk. I don't know why. And so for me to actually read it from my Bible, I'd have to have Roman hold it, and then you'd be going, what is he doing? That's so weird. So I'm going to read it from here with these giant 42-point uh, letters. Amazing stuff Paul has to say here. So let the Holy Spirit um, distill this down into your minds, into your souls. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant." Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. That is so great. I love that. 
bit of text. Now, it is rich and deep and dense, and there is no way that I could do it justice in a little bit of time with you this morning. Even if I talked really fast, there's no way. You know, this is like a series. This is like all spring worth of great stuff from the Bible. So what I want to do, I just want to pull out three things. I think they're there. I'm not making them up, I hope. But I just want to pull out three things that Paul is talking about here and leave most of the richness of this passage for a later day. But there are three things in here that I think are very helpful. Uh, My hope is, I'll just tell you where we're ending up. My hope is that you will leave from here in a few minutes very deeply, basically encouraged. That you'll leave here going, wow, that's who Jesus is. That is so good. I'm so glad that's who Jesus is. And this is what God is up to. And that will be encouraging and strengthening for you. Let me go back to the start and read. It's kind of almost a poem or maybe a hymn where Paul is talking about who this Jesus is. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, as I read this, if you could do this, just let the Holy Spirit bring forth some of these descriptions of Christ to life in your heart, in your mind. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is our Jesus. Paul says, this is the one. This is the one sent from God. Now I read this, and I think about talking to you about it, and I realize I am not fit for that challenge. I am not up to that task. So I brought in some backup. And I want to share with you um, a bit of video. Well, let me, let me do this first before we get to the video. I think this is helpful, this refocusing on who Jesus is, particularly at this time of the year, because it helps us move from baby Jesus and Christmas, and this is so great that Jesus is born, through the extent of his life and his sacrifice on the cross, and it draws us through that time in the calendar out to this realization, this reminder that Jesus actually turned out to be kind of a big deal, that this little baby, there is so much in there. All things were created through him. God set things up so that he might have the supremacy over all things. Now, to get back to where I'm going, I needed some backup. I needed a little bit of help ordering my sermon too, huh? So I brought in this guy, Samuel Lockridge, a pastor, a preacher from last century. And I want to share with you this video. He talks about Jesus being our king. I think you'll find this encouraging. Watch it with me. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's in 
phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-trained of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him. But yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. That is our Jesus, and we are a hugely blessed people to know him, even to know a bit of that. So Paul gives us this amazing picture of this is who Christ is. And I want to focus, he also talks about here is what Jesus is up to. This is what God is accomplishing through Christ. Look at this bit in verse 19 and 20 with me. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in this Jesus that we've just looked at, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on heaven or things on earth, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, in about 30 seconds, you're going to think, oh my gosh, I've got a universalist on the stage. And you don't, so relax. But look at that for a second. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. Now, what do you suppose Paul means when he says through him, to reconcile all things. I'll be honest with you, I don't know. And I've thought about this a little bit because I think the Bible's pretty clear that for some people, God gives them their choice to be independent and separated from himself. So I don't know how this is true. But Paul says 
God was pleased to fill up Jesus and to through him reconcile to himself all things. So my conclusion at this point in life, and it will evolve as I get older, I'm sure, but my sense now is that at very least what Paul is saying here is that what God has in mind to do on this planet is way bigger than what I'm usually thinking about. The reconciliation that God intends to work on our earth is extensive and pervasive in ways that usually are not present in my mind. God is up to something big, bigger than what I usually think about. Now, I would encourage you, if you start to feel weighed down by the world, to use this as some dynamite to blow up that despair and to allow God to detonate hope in your souls that he is at work through Jesus to reconcile all things to himself. Now, if we're going to understand this stuff about Jesus, I had a very smart guy one time tell me, here is the way to get a hold of Jesus, a way to get a hold of what Jesus is up to. Drink the Gospels in big gulps. Imbibe in, in the Gospel. Drink deeply of the Gospels. So at this point, it was right at the start of the first year, I want to invite you, if you want to join me on a path to do that that I'm working on, go to uversion.com sometime. You have a note-taking outline somewhere in your program. It looks like this, if you want to jot this down. Um, just one more way in which FMC is the coolest church in Ohio. The little tear-off thing is perforated. I don't know how you did that. I don't know if somebody sat with a pen and went, ding, 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 for a thousand. But so great. That never happened. So anyway, if you want to write this down, look for the plan that says the gospel's in 30 days and join me. Now, this isn't like a super big gulp reading three chapters of the Bible a day. You come to the end of January or now into the early part of February and you'll have a deeper, fuller sense. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? What was Jesus trying to accomplish? So Paul gives us this amazing, majestic picture of Christ. He goes on to describe this mystery. And I like this. Because we get into trouble, we evangelicals, you know, the kind of our broader stream of the faith in the U.S., we get in trouble when we give the idea out or we let the idea reside in our minds that we've got everything figured out. When you think, I've got all the answers, you're in deep stuff because we don't have all the answers. And there's a part of this, this gospel that is a mystery. And Paul alludes to it here. He says, now I rejoice that I'm suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, I don't really have time to go into to what Paul's saying there. Sometimes I say that when I don't know what he's saying there. I don't have time. So but anyway, that's important. Verse 25, I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I want us to camp out on this idea, this mystery that Paul is talking about. Now, a lot of times, we as evangelicals, we rush to the end and we say, oh, Christ in us, it's the hope of glory, that's so great, let's write a song about it. And that's probably all well and true, but I think maybe what Paul is talking about is bigger here. And it's more significant. It had particular relevance to this little band of believers in this town called Colossae when he's writing this letter long ago. Maybe this mystery is referring to some of these little religions that were floating around at the time where um, they were shrouded in mystery. If you wanted to know the secrets, you had to join up and probably pay money and all of this stuff. If you're going to be inside, Paul says, no, this has been blown out. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message translates this. He says, this mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time. 
But now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out. Regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing, the mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you, so therefore you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. Now I want us to think about this this morning. When Paul's writing this to the believers in Colossae, there are Jews around about who are saying, you Gentiles who are starting to follow Jesus, you've got to become Jews. Come on in. This is where it's really, this is where God is at work. Paul's saying, no, wait, listen, this gospel is too big just to be contained by the people or within the people called Jews. This gospel busts forward all over the place, which is really good news for us. Any of us here who happen to not have been born Jewish, which I suppose is probably all of us, it's very good news. It was good news for these guys in Colossae. Now the risk is this. As people who have grown up inside the faith, which again I, I suspect is most of us here, maybe not all of us, but you've grown up inside the faith, you begin to form these ideas that say the gospel is for us. And there are people outside for whom I'm not really sure the gospel's for them. I don't see it happening. Now, thinking about that for us this morning, who are some of those people that we might possibly, you know, we'd say Jesus died for everyone, red, yellow, black, and white, they're pressed to his side. But practically, sometimes we think people are beyond the gospel. Who might some of those people be? Maybe Hoosiers, people from Indiana. <laughs> I've seen some of them. Maybe, you know, a few, a year ago, 18 months ago, it would have been Mormons, but now in the post-Romney era, we're a little bit ambivalent on that. Maybe, and if you know me at all, you know I'm going to this point. What about Muslims? Is it possible that we, inside the faith, look outside the faith at Muslims the way that Jews looked at Gentiles back when Paul is writing this letter? And we go, ah, be nice. Gospel's big enough for Muslims, but I don't see it happening. As I go around about, I don't get everywhere, but I get around a little bit, and I see in the church, outside the church, you know, you can't expect people to be thinking in, in Jesus kind of ways, but inside the church, it kind of be nice, but I see inside the church that we don't think that the gospel can accomplish God's desires in the Muslim world. We don't think it sometimes because of fear. Now, I'm not accusing you of any, anything, right? I don't know you. I barely know your church. I mean, I told you I already have a crush on your church. So we're, I think we're okay there. But broadly, there is a fear in the evangelical world relative to Muslims. We perceive them to be our enemies. Perhaps some of you have very direct experiences of people who at least call themselves Muslims, people who may be faithful Muslims, taking action which has harmed you or harmed your family, your people. And we look at all billion and a half Muslims as our enemies. Now, like I said, it's not often I get to talk to Mennonites. But on this issue, can I encourage you that God has in your heritage given you a gift that the rest of us, the church in the U.S., needs very much. Remember this guy? Is this guy familiar to you? He's one of your dudes from way back when. 1569, Dirk Villains. How many of you are familiar with the Dirk Villains story? Oh, that's going to change this morning. Because um, this is your story. He's a Dutch guy. We used to live in Holland, so he's kind of my guy too, although he's really your guy first. So he's, he's this Dutch guy. And back when, when the Anabaptist movement was beginning to take shape, 
Dirk got baptized as an adult. <gasps> oh my, we don't do that. Dirk started reading the Bible. He started teaching the Bible to people in his house. And the state church said, oh, we're not going to have that, and threw him in jail. Apparently, Dirk was not this passive, little, weak person. Oh, whatever happens, it must be the Lord's will. Dirk escaped from jail. He took some kind of advantage, took some opportunity, escaped from jail. He's running across the frozen Dutch wasteland. People start to chase him to get him back into jail. He runs across the frozen pond. One of his pursuers, who was fatter than Dirk, having lived in jail, and I don't think you wear clothes like that in jail, but, you know, it had to be okay. Um, so anyway, the fat guy loaded down with weapons trying to catch him fell through the ice. And here's Dirk on the other side of the pond going, free, I got away. And then Jesus speaking into his mind, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And Dirk's saying, obedience to Jesus means getting this guy out of the ice. He went back and he pulled him out of the ice and the guy said, that was a very nice thing to do. I'm going to let you go. But the other people who didn't fall through the ice said, no, you're not going to let him go. They got him. They threw him into a more secure prison. And sometime not too long later, he died a grisly death being burned at the stake. Your people, your stock comes from that kind of obedience. Where you find in your mind, where you see in the church, a fear, a sense of describing or considering Muslims as our enemy, would you come through in a Dirk Willems kind of way? Would you lead the rest of us to say, here is what Jesus says we should treat our enemies. And because our people do this, this is the way I'm going to respond. Let love dispel fear. Let connection replace alienation. Now, I don't know what opportunity you have in Apple Creek. I know you have a little opportunity in Worcester. Certainly, you have tons of opportunity in Columbus to hang out and get near Muslims. And I would love to encourage you to do that. Now, another reason why we, we think maybe that this mystery doesn't extend to Muslims is because we haven't seen much happen. We have this sense that Muslims are resistant to the gospel. Now, a couple of things I think about that. Number one is we can't really say Muslims are resistant to the gospel if we've never really told them about Jesus, right? That doesn't, that doesn't work out logically. Probably 30% of Muslims will live and die never hearing about Jesus. Right now, 80% of Muslims on the planet do not have a friend who loves Jesus. Eight out of 10 don't know somebody who loves Jesus. So it's a little bit disingenuous, and it's probably just flat out wrong for us to say, those Muslims, they're resistant to the gospel. I know. How do you know? Did you try? My experience has been quite the contrary, that Muslims are not resistant to the gospel. You know this, my experience has been almost across the board that Muslims are more comfortable and more willing to talk to Christians about Jesus than Christians are willing to talk to Muslims about Jesus. And he is our king. We've celebrated that. Let me tell you also something I've seen happen in recent days that I have not seen before in my life. I've been at this not as long as, as you guys, for sure, but I've been at this for a while. And in the past year, I've seen things that I have never seen before among Muslims coming to Christ. I spent a couple bits of time, about this time last year, and then some time in the summer, working with some buds in the city of Athens. Athens is kind of the immigrant gateway for Europe. People come from all over broken, messed up parts of the world, come into Athens and try to get on out to different parts of Europe. And the way forward is barred and locked and shut. 
So Athens is filling up with these pools of humanity, living in, in nasty tenements, living in parks, living on the streets, just a, a mess, largely, not entirely, but largely coming from Muslim backgrounds. Afghanistan, Pakistan, Bangladesh, different places in Kurdistan, other places in the Middle East. These people pooling there. So some friends that I know said, well, let's go tell them about Jesus. So they started gathering some people. And I spent a little bit of time with some people who have actually moved to Athens for this sake. And here's what we did, because I'm going to tell you some amazing results. So just so you know how complicated our plan was, this is what we did. We went out and met some Muslims, because it's not hard to find Muslims in Athens. They don't have jobs. They're just hanging out. All they do is have time to talk. So we went out, and we heard their story. Where are you from? What was it like to get here? You walked from Pakistan to Athens? That's a long walk. Hear that story. So we heard their story. We told them our story. We said, here's my life. My life was a wreck. My, you would not let your daughter date me. I was, I was a mess. But then Jesus came into my life, and he, transforms thing, he transformed things. And now I'm living with this hope that God loves me, that God wants to do something. So we share our story, and then we tell them God's story. There's this book called The Bible. Some great Wycliffe friends translate it into Dari so you can actually read it. But here's the story. God came and he created everything and just walked through the story of the Bible. And I want to tell you, I never had the chance to tell this to anybody, so I'm kind of excited to tell it to you. In the past few months, in the city of Athens, while all we see on the media is Athens burning, Greece is terrible, Greece is taking uh, Europe down the drain, oh, you know, that's what we see. Here's what's going on under the radar. Muslims are beginning to follow Jesus. Muslims who have no hope are finding hope in Christ. You know, in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2D2.2, you remember that? Entrust faithful men who will be able to give this message to others. They're seeing that kind of reproduction. So Muslims are coming to Christ, being baptized. They are sharing their faith with their coworkers, with their dads, uncles, wives, family, and they're coming to Christ. Those new believers are sharing their faith with others who are coming to Christ, who are sharing their faith with others out to, just in the past few days, to the fifth generation. New believers passing the faith on, passing the faith on, passing the faith on. You would be hard-pressed to find that dynamic in the whole of Ohio. And it's happening among Muslims in Athens. And it is reason for me to rejoice greatly. As we've seen this happen in different parts of the world, by the time you get to that fourth generation, oftentimes things begin to take on this momentum that is like a movement. And it's almost like it's out of control, like a nuclear reaction. I imagine that in Athens over the next few weeks, the first quarter of this year, we will see Muslims come to Christ like we have never seen before. And not because missionaries are preaching to great crowds. Some Americans are hanging out with two or three people. But the force of this harvest has come up from the harvest as Muslims who love Jesus take the gospel out. And the mystery is revealed. Paul says this mystery that's been hidden for generations, this mystery that a lot of us have given up on, can the gospel really make a difference for Muslims? It is in ways that I personally have never seen before. So Paul says this great stuff is happening. And then he goes on, this la the last thing that I want to share with you. He talks about his participation in it. He says, I have become its servant, this, this gospel, this movement, its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuous, strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. 
Now, does that resonate with you at all? Because that resonates with me. To think that Paul says, I have this privilege to join in with God and what he's doing for the gospel to go forward. There's something in me that goes, yes, I want to be a part of that. I want to see the gospel go where it hasn't gone before. I want to see FMC fill up with people finding life in Jesus. I want to see the life of this church extend throughout this part of Ohio, extend wherever God leads us throughout the world. I want to be a part of that. There's something in us that wants our lives to matter. Let me share a story with you to illustrate this. A number of years ago, I was on an airplane, and I thought this only happened in TV, but somebody came on over the PA and said, is there a doctor on board? We have a medical emergency. I no way. Serious. That really happened. So everybody's looking around to see where the medical emergency is. It's bloody. Is it gross? Hope it's not throw up. And, you know, we're looking around, and it turned out the medical emergency was two rows in front of me. So I was close enough to soar to see what was going on, but not really know. So this story may be totally made up from this point on, but that part actually happened. So as I was watching... Now, there was one flight attendant who was kind of Johnny on the spot flight attendant. He kept going back and forth, back and forth, tending to this woman. Um, and she, he'd bring her a cloth and dab her forehead. He'd bring her a cup of water. And you could tell this was making his day. <gasps> I'm there for the medical emergency. And he just couldn't wait to land and go to the flight attendant lounge where they hang out and say, oh, you wouldn't believe what I did today. But you just see it was really, he was into it. Pilot came on and said, when we land, there are going to be firemen. Please stay in your seat. Sure enough, we landed. The paramedics came on board. They started tending to this woman, and Johnny on the spot flight attendant was hovering over them. <gasps> I brought her a glass of water. I hope that was okay. Is that okay? Is that okay? The fireman's trying to do their job, right? And, he's, and then I did this, and, and all back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And they said, which way do you want to take her out? And firemen, you know, they are eminently practical people. Firemen said, well, which way's shorter, the front or the back? And the flight attendant said, we're closer to the back. He said, okay, we'll take her out the back. And the flight attendant said this, and I'm, I'm not kidding you. He actually said this. He said, okay, we'll take her out the back. I'll go pop the slide. Now, just let that unfold, that image unfold in your mind for a second. Keep your feet up, 98-year-old sick lady. Keep your feet up. Slide her down the slide. Fireman looked up at him and went, pop the slide. We'll take her out the front, which is what they did. Now, hopefully that flight attendant went on to live a productive life and had a great career and all of that. I like to mock him, but honestly, if I'm truthful, had I been in his shoes, I would have done the same thing. Why? Because I want to be great. I want my life to matter. I want to be there at the point of of critical importance. And what Paul says to you and to me, what God invites us into is the the possibility to participate with him in this gospel going forward. There's such a great opportunity, such an amazing thing that God would choose the likes of us, look all over the world and settle his eyes in Apple Creek, go, I love these guys. I want to use them for the sake of my purposes. And that's what He is telling us. Now, Paul says that he's doing this with all the energy that Christ powerfully works in him. Strenuously contends. I can't even say that word. Strenuously contends with all the energy that God gives him. Now, what would it look like if instead of Paul, you were saying that? What would your life look like if you said, yeah, this is true of me? For some of you, your life would look just the same as it looks now because this is you. You are following Paul as he follows Jesus, contending with the grace, the strength that God gives you to participate in his gospel going forward. I mean, some of you, you look at that and you think, well, maybe there are some things that God might want me to do. I'm neither the Holy Spirit nor your dad nor your pastor, so I can't tell you to do these things. But I want to invite you, maybe for some of you, 
what you need to be thinking about is how do I um, actually engage? What would it be like for me to put myself into some of these situations? Connect with international students that are coming to my part of Ohio. To say, Roman, would you go to PNG if I went with you? I'll carry your bags, though I'm not worthy of that. Maybe go off to PNG. Maybe come with me to Athens or a city in Europe this summer and tell your story. Hear the story of Muslims. Tell your story. Tell God's story. See if God might want to spark some movements like that. Now on that, that note-taking outline, this bottom part, if you would go ahead and tear that off, there are a couple of things in here that you might want. If you want, to send, if you want me to send you an email with opportunities to pray and to give and to go, if that might be a good step for you, put a check mark on that one. I'll just send you one email. I'm not going to pepper you or hound you or spam you or anything. But I'll send you one email. And the first part of that email will be this. Whoa, your church is doing great things. Why are you writing me? Do what your church is doing. And I'll list some of those. And then if that doesn't connect for you, you don't qualify for your church trips, then I'll say, well, think about coming with me someplace. I'll lay out some possibilities for you. So check that one. Maybe what you need is some steps of learning. If God is inviting you to participate in the stuff that seems so central to the life of FMC, maybe you need to learn some things. So I would encourage you, sign up for our family newsletter. Less than 10 times a year, you're not going to get spammed by that, but we can stay in touch. Or sign up for this weekly easing that I write for, talking, you know, just a weekly, like, 1,200-word shot. Here's some things God's doing on the planet. Maybe the best thing you can do, and again, I don't get to do this almost ever. I want to invite you to come tonight 5.30, the Colts game will be finished for good or for ill. Come here, 5.15, because it's your home ice, so you should be here a little early to walk the foreigners who come in, and sit through this first class. I, this is my guarantee to you. I will not put you to sleep. And you may at this point be going, dude, I don't know if you can do that. You're going to keep talking five minutes more. It, it will be good tonight. God will speak to you. Give it a shot. Come to Perspectives tonight. Um, I can imagine a reason why some people, it might not be a good thing for you, but really, that's not you. This would be a good thing for you. So I want to invite you to come tonight. One last thought, and I'll be finished. Paul wraps this up, and he says, I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. I want you to walk away with this thought. Paul says we do this stuff. We make this proclamation. We share this good news. We push this out. We join in this movement for a very particular reason, that we might present to Christ everyone mature. Someone somewhere along the line proclaimed the gospel to you in order that you might be presented to Christ. The, the dynamic is that ultimately this comes back around to Jesus receiving what Jesus alone deserves. Paul says, God has done this so in all things he might have the supremacy. As we go forth proclaiming the gospel in our home, in where you work, in your town, in the planet, we proclaim it so that people might be presented as worshipers, honoring God. That's where all this ends up, God receiving what God deserves. Let me pray for you. Dwayne, you can come back up and wrap us up. Father, I thank you so much for these guys. I thank you, Lord, for the life that you're working out, for the vitality present in this fellowship of believers. Lord, I thank you for the heritage that they share, for this rich history that has brought them to this point. Lord, I thank you that they are engaging with you, thinking, how do we go forward into the world? 
doing the hard work of hosting perspectives, doing the hard work of supporting missionaries like Roman and Carolyn. Lord, thank you so much for their obedience. And thank you, Lord, for the success that you're working out from that obedience. Lord, I pray you fill them with your spirit, that you would bless them, encourage them, the greatness of your son and the privilege we have to join with you. And Lord, would you multiply their impact on this community and on the planet a hundredfold. In Jesus' name, amen.